This is The Uprising, starring Steve Alquist. I'm your host, Greg Brailsford. Today, we welcome Senator Kendra Anderson and Representative David Morales as we discuss the Rescue Rhode Island Act and how progressive policies from the real left help improve everyone's quality of life. Steve, happy Monday, my man. How is it going today? Oh, it's uh, busy. It's fun. I'm, I'm in it, and it's great. It's awesome, awesome, awesome. 2021, uh, looking a lot like 2020 so far, but hopefully uh, <laughs> things are improving. Joe Biden announced his new stimulus plan. Hopefully there's climate plan to follow after that. So, you know, uh, at least we're getting some action from the federal government now. Things are hopefully starting to look up. I know that um, vaccinations have been finally uh, starting to turn up a little bit. A little bit. I heard New York City now has a uh, three-month backlog. They were throwing out doses last week, and now they've actually expanded the criteria, and they went from throwing out doses to all the doses are spoken for for three months. Okay. Uh, In Rhode Island, I've just heard a report that said that we're not throwing out extra doses, but we're finding people who need them and giving them to them on the fly. And and that's what should should happen. Right. So uh, doing that in a fair way will be problematic, maybe, but I think we're going to get there. And and you know what? When it's over, we're going to be fine. And you know what, too? There's so many people, surprisingly, so many people that are just saying no to the vaccine that it's making it easy, easier for the people that do want it to get it. Yeah, I think it's a shame that so many people are saying no to the vaccine. If you can get the vaccine, get the vaccine. I agree. And, and I think that people worried about the safety of it. You know, first of all, look at all of the world leaders that are getting it. I mean, it's not just, you know, Joe Schmo and, and your your healthcare workers and teachers and stuff like that. It's it's really, you know, quote unquote important people around the world are getting this vaccine. If I felt that that or if they felt the vaccine was maybe not as safe as it's being touted to be, then these world leaders wouldn't wouldn't take the vaccine. Well, not only world leaders, but locally business leaders have been getting in line, right? The head of uh one of the major hospital chains was first in line for his dose. Right, right. Right. And he's a CEO. Right. I mean, he is a practicing doctor, but he's not doing the kind of medical medicine that brings him in contact with COVID patients. He's of course. Kind of, he's a pediatrician. Right. And and there's a lot of misinformation about about vaccines out there, especially this vaccine in particular, uh, that people feel uh, it changes your DNA, which it does not. No. Scientifically, uh, you know, many scientists have, have covered this and, and epidemiologists have uh, have made it clear that this virus does not change your <laughs> DNA. It works like a typical vaccine, which is essentially, it tells uh, the, the white blood cells in your body, I believe it's white blood cells, in your body, hey, there's this thing, you should be aware of it, uh, hope it works out, all right, see you later, and that's it. And now your blood, white blood cells know, your immune system knows, okay, there's this, this disease, here's the instructions for identifying it, and so if I see it, I know to go after it right away so it does not become an infection. Um, the the vaccine does not change your DNA. It does not alter your your body's chemistry in any way that changes you like that. It just doesn't. That's that's it. And uh, for a shortly short development cycle, the vaccine has proven to be not only quite effective, but the side effects have been manageable. My wife, who's a healthcare worker, has gotten both doses now, and. Good. Yeah, um, the first dose, uh, there was no side effects at all, at least for her. And I think uh, most of her coworkers, it was the same situation. The second dose, uh, I'll speak for her at least, the second dose uh, was different. The second dose, she was definitely fatigued for about 24 hours. Um, not debilitating, she could still function, but she was definitely tired, needed to take a nap. And 
And the arm, you know, where you get injected uh, in the arm was painful. Uh, you know, not again, not debilitating pain, but you definitely felt pain there for, for a, I'd say a couple of days. It kind of wear, worn away over time, and uh, she had some itching there a few days later. But overall, it was it was very very manageable. And and she'll kill me for saying this, but she does not tolerate pain well at all. And she was she was fine with it. She she really didn't have much of a complaint about it. She just noted those symptoms and that was it. So so that's what you have to look forward to. It, it's really not much. And the fact is, like, listen, this, we're going to get to a time here, I think, where, you know, government and businesses, airlines, everyone else is going to say, listen, to do business with us, okay, to come in here, uh, or at least without a mask, you're going to have to show us a vaccination card. Yeah. You know, when you get vaccinated, first time you get a card, and it, you know, indicates your uh, vaccination, what you got, the Moderna, the Pfizer, AstraZeneca, which type of vaccine you got, what day you got it, the doctor that administer it has to sign off on it, all that stuff. Uh, and then when you get your second dose, you bring the card back and they fill in the second portion of it and they sign off on that. Now you know, hey, I'm fully vaccinated. And the vaccination, I believe, is they say it's between 57 and 90% effective after the first dose. And they believe it's uh, about 95% effective 10 days after the second dose. So after the first dose, you do have protection, but not enough that I would say just go around without a mask on. That's not responsible to do that. But after the second dose, you are well protected. They still, however, do not know if you can carry the virus while you're uh, protected, while you're vaccinated. And therefore spread it to other people. Right. Right. So there's a concern. They don't know for sure. They haven't said, you know, this definitely happens, but... It's a situation where do you really want to, you know, accidentally kill your grandmother by, you know, being vaccinated, going out in public around people who are not getting the 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 vaccine, excuse me, getting coronavirus and then transmitting it, symptomless, trans transmitting it to your yeah. family, you know. So that's a concern that people have as well. But I think the more people that get this vaccine, uh, it's just going to reduce just the, the the hurt in this country, the the number of deaths, the yeah. sickness, everything, every person, especially every older person that gets this. Boom, they're just wiped off now in terms of the chances of them getting a debilitating uh, illness from this, this virus. I think something we need to understand about viruses, about vaccines, we look at it as a personal thing, like this will protect me from a virus. But we have to also understand that the concept behind vaccines is that so many people get it that the virus does not have a safe place to land anymore, that the virus as a whole can no longer affect 99% of us or all of us because viruses live by being spread from person to person to person. My body kills, if I come in contact, if I get COVID and I survive it, I kill off the COVID and I build up immunity, some immunity. I'm no longer a fit host. So viruses need many people and it needs me to me to spread it to other people in order to survive. When we vaccinate everybody in the population, the virus can't live and the virus goes away. And this is what we're heading for. So it's not about personal protection, although it is. It's also about protecting all of us, the entire, all of humanity. Right. And this is uh, that term herd immunity, yeah. where enough people have it that the virus just cannot su survive and cannot spread through the community anymore. Uh, there's different ways of, of herd immunity. I'm sure you've, you've probably heard about what Sweden tried to do. It was Sweden, right? I believe Sweden or Switzerland. I'd like to say it was Sweden. I'm 99% sure. They decided herd immunity would be uh, effective by just allowing things to just work out. No, you know, restrictions. Everyone just do what you got to do. People will get it, and then eventually enough people will get it so that it doesn't spread through the community. That was a disaster. Yeah. And that proved uh, what we all knew right away from the beginning that it was not going to be effective. This virus just because of its symptomless infection rate, it it 
it spreads so fast. People don't know they have it, so they can't quarantine themselves and can't. The herd, the herd immunity just doesn't work because people don't know they have it. And the other way of herd immunity, the one that's much more effective, is you've got some people who are just going to get the virus because they don't care or don't wear a mask or just in a situation where they just got it forced upon them, like members of Congress, for example. And uh, so you've got them. Okay, once you get the virus, you've got a, a level of protection. They don't know for sure, but you definitely have uh, an immunity to it to some extent. And then you've got the people getting vaccinated. So when you combine the two, you get real deal herd immunity. Yeah. And, I, and that's important because there are a few people who, because they have uh, um, bad immune systems, cannot get vaccinated. And those, and so if 99% of the people can get vaccinated and there are very few people who can't get vaccinated for real existing true medical reasons don't, they are also protected because we are all protected. Right. So it's a really important thing to get your vaccine. It's definitely, it's definitely a we're all in this together approach. And that's, I think, the problem that conservatives have is that a typical conservative doesn't look at society in that way. Yeah. Uh, since they look at it as uh, everyone is, is in for themselves and it's, you know, dog eat dog, uh, survival of the fittest. And that just is not compatible with eradicating a pandemic through mass vaccination. It's just not. Yeah. So. Um, you know, something's got to give. And, and unfortunately, I believe it's going to be, you know, conservatives choosing not to get this vaccine, not protecting themselves, and they're going to be ostracized because the rest of society will be vaccinated and or wearing a mask and will be allowed to participate in society. For example, not necessarily going to Lowe's or Home Depot. You can do that now. But, you know, going on a plane or going uh, to visit other countries and stuff like that. They're going to require, you know, a test or a vaccination record or something like that. You know that's going to happen. And if you're not vaccinated, well, then good luck, because it's not going to be a great situation, I think, right. for you. And, um, you know, if this was if this was like, you know, a situation that wasn't an immediate health emergency, then I could get I could totally understand people being resistive to it. But at this point, you know, the, the vaccine has proven to be quite safe. Uh, and if it's not safe, everyone's going to die. OK, like everyone on the planet. So, hey, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, everyone's no, getting this vaccine. There's no zombie outbreak so far. So no, no. And, and that's the other thing, too. Our listeners need to understand anyone that's that's kind of skeptical about this should know that I'd say millions at this point, millions of people across the, the world have gotten this vaccine now. OK, and there are not reported side effects uh, that are serious. There's just not. Not only did 50,000 plus participate in the trial before this was even released to the public, but now you've got millions of people in the public that have taken this, old, young, uh, and everywhere in between, you know, young healthcare workers, older people at nursing homes, and you're just not seeing anything serious in terms of side effects. Because, you know, we know how vaccines work. Vaccines are not a new concept. It's just a matter of tuning the vaccine for a particular virus. So I hope our listeners that are skeptical, uh, perhaps maybe might become a little less skeptical after hearing, you know, the, the real deal behind this. And, and if you, you're still skeptical, ask a real healthcare worker, okay? Ask someone that, that understands vi virology. Is that the correct word? Virology. Sure, yeah, yeah, sure. And understands how these things work. Don't, don't go on Facebook and read some random post by some random person who may or may not be a doctor, okay? Go talk to your doctor. You have a doctor, go call them up, ask questions. Uh, or, or if you know a healthcare worker, ask them too, because they'll give you the real scoop. So uh, anyway, just briefly, we have an awesome show yeah. planned for you today. We have on Senator Kendra Anderson and Representative David Morales, both newly elected, uh, part of the Rhode Island Political Co-op, and uh, very excited to have them on to talk about a new initiative that progressives in Rhode Island have launched called the Rescue Rhode Island Act. Now, this act 
is comprehensive, and they're going to talk about it. I want to let them talk about it. But essentially, if you're, if you're not familiar with progressive policy, um, you're going to see what progressive policy is really about. Because yeah. you know, I try to make this point um, often on the show, is that um, just because someone's a Democrat doesn't mean that they're working in your best interest. And conservatives know this uh, very well, and as do progressives. Uh, people on the real left, as I like to call it, understand that Democrats, many, many Democrats, are fiscally conservative, and they are would be against a, a program like this. Um, that's just, unfortunately, the way polit- politics are now. It'll be and an so, interesting question to ask, right? Uh, for sure. Who among, who? where do you think your biggest problem is going to be? Because this is a mostly Democrat General Assembly. So, and, you know, the Republicans could all say no, 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 and it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't even be a dent in this legislation's passage. So all the convincing has to be done among fellow Democrats. Right, and that's what I listen, our listeners, especially conservative listeners, need to understand. The, the biggest takeaway you can t- and get from this show is that uh, all Democrats are not equal. You have your, your, as I call it, the real left, the progressives, who want to help people, who want to do things, who say, who do what they say they're going to do. They, they follow up their promises with real action every time. You know, you can look at whether it's Bernie Sanders uh, or, or anyone local, whether it's Sam Bell, uh, what they say, they go and try to do, okay? They don't, they don't lie to their constituents about what they want to do to help you. And, and that's the progressive way. The progressives are, are the truth talkers, okay, as I like to say. You know, they, here's the problem. We had on Senator Tiara Mack last week on our police show, and if you listened, uh, she made it very clear um, why these problems exist and how to fix these problems. And it's real talk. It's not platitudes. You know, when you hear the Democratic leadership talk, a lot of times it's platitudes. It's, you know, we want everyone to have access to health care and have a great job and blah, blah, blah. But they never get to actually how that's going to happen. Okay, everyone, we want everyone to have a great job. Okay, how do you plan on affecting that? How do you plan on making that happen? Progressives have a plan. They have a plan for everything they talk about. And it's a major difference between the progressive faction of the Democratic Party and the leadership faction of the Democratic Party. So in Rhode Island here, we have a supermajority of Democrats. So you often hear Rhode Islanders say, you know, we need to get rid of the Democrats in the General Assembly. They do nothing for us. You know, they do nothing. And, and honestly, I agree. Uh, a large portion of the Democratic uh, legislators in our General Assembly are fiscally conservative. It puts them, uh, globally, it puts them on the right, clearly in the right wing of politics. Nationally, it certainly puts them on the center right, okay? In other words, they're okay with gay marriage, but when it comes to, you know, raising taxes on the upper class to pay for, you know, lower class initiatives, eh, they're a little cold to that. And we just elected a number of, over 10 new progressive legislators to the General Assembly. Almost all of these new legislators are progressive. And you're going to see, you're seeing already an immediate difference between the progressive Democrats and the regular, as I like to call them, the regular Democrats. And I think it's important to note the difference. So when you listen to Representative Morales speak and and Senator Anderson speak and, and, and others that we have on, you'll note a stark difference between how they communicate what they want to do for their constituents. It's, it's clear, it's concise, and it's things that are, are real. You know, we're going to do this, and here's how we're going to do it. So, so that's really important there. Um, Steve, the other thing we want to talk about, too, besides you know, the Rescue Rhode Island Act, is the news for this week. Now, I want to cover it just briefly before we get to uh, 
Senator Senator Anderson and Representative Morales. But I did want to cover, we had a couple of stories this past week. One of them, of course, uh, getting a lot of play everywhere was uh, Representative Justin Price. Yeah, his um, comments that he made after attending the rally slash insurrection in D.C. last week. Yes, there's a... There's uh, it was it was two weeks ago. It yep. was uh, Wednesday, um, two, two Wednesdays, two Wednesdays ago, and um, yeah, that was that was something else. Uh, we're discovering now that a lot of state representatives, senators uh, from around the country, and attended, police officers, and police officers yeah. attended this uh, this. I don't want to call it an insurrection because there were people that showed up to the outside of the building, stood there, and never went inside. And Justin Price does maintain that he is one of those people. He went there and he stayed outside. Yes, yes, he does. He has said that. And and if he did, you know, that's fine. Now, granted, I do not agree at all with the motivation behind this protest, okay, that, that the election was stolen. I'm not a Joe Biden fan, but he won the election. Yeah. It's clear he won the election. If there was some problem with the election, whether whatever problem you want to invent, I mean, the Trump team has certainly tried every possible venue to find something, and they've found nothing. And even judges that Trump put into power are voting against him in this situation. So I'll I'll say this about Justin Price, Representative Justin Price. Um, I disagree with him politically all the time. He's extremely conservative. He puts forth bills like making it okay to hit a person who's blocking the highway with your car, for instance, right? He railed against a bill that would prevent people from assaulting someone because they were trans saying, well, suppose you just found out. I mean, he was literally, I watched the video on this uh, a couple of days ago. Yes, He was literally defending the idea of like the gay panic defense, you know? So I disagree with him on a lot of things. And, um, however, he maintained after the fact says he didn't go in. I tend to believe that he did not go into the Capitol. He was not part of the insurrection, quote unquote. But he did then go on to blame what happened, the capital violence on Antifa right. and Black Lives Matter protesters infiltrating the crowd, pretending to be Proud Boys or pretending to be right-wing people and Trump supporters and then causing all the trouble. There is zero evidence of this. Can you even imagine from a common sense point of view, uh, people like you and I, okay, for, first of all, if you're, if you're not a fascist, if you're against fascism, you're Antifa. Antifa literally stands for anti-fascist. Right. That's it. It's not a group. It's not an organization. It's not a gang. It's just an idea. Okay? There's no like, ID card. You're either fascist or you're not fascist. It's one or the other. So if you're not a fascist, you're Antifa. We're all Antifa. And, and so, so can you imagine from a common sense point of view, believing that people like you and I would cosplay as Trump supporters go all the way to D.C. and cosplay as Trump supporters to to infiltrate the Capitol, for what reason, I don't know, because we don't have a beef in D.C., but infiltrate the Capitol to make Trump supporters what, look bad? Because, I mean, it's not like my actions can get someone else arrested, okay? If you didn't go into the Capitol... You're probably not going to be arrested. That's the facts of it, whether you're Antifa or not Antifa or fascist or not or what have you. So I just don't get the the. That's a really a big stretch to try to say Antifa <laughs> was involved. Also, there are two possibilities when you hear his statements. Either he really believes them, which means he's kind of delusional, or he doesn't believe them, which means he's lying. And both of those things kind of disqualify you as being fit for public office. You know, if you're delusional or a liar, 
you really should not be in there. Now, this is up to his voters. He's probably not going to say, I'm stepping down. The House is not going to censure him and kick him out of the House. Unless they find he lied and that he wasn't a capital. In right. which case, he's out, I right. think, right away. Nobody, Nobody's going to support that then. Um, there have been calls for him to step down. Um, people had looked at photographs of people who had entered into the Capitol building. Right. And they thought they saw him. I asked him directly, is that you? He said, no, I believe him because looking at other photos of the same man, it doesn't really look like him. And I, I know him pretty well. I've been at the State House a few times. We've had conversations, right? I've been as close to him as I am to you right now, wearing masks separated um, while we do this podcast. And I, I believe it wasn't him. Plus, the person in the photo was wearing a mask. And Justin Price famously That's does, exactly not like, right. w- yeah, does not like wearing masks as he, at the most recent meeting of the House of Representatives, he refused to wear a mask and he was set off to the side in a little room to watch the proceedings from a distance. It's, it's funny you, you, you said that because um, we were laughing together, me and a, a couple of friends, about how the fact is that they try to blame this, or Justin Price specifically tried to blame this Antifa. When you look at the people that, that went to this insurrection, that participated in this insurrection, they weren't wearing masks. So not only are you saying Antifa did this whole false flag operation for, for no purpose that I can see, okay, but also exposed themselves willingly to COVID just to do this? I mean, it just it baffles my mind how many arguments go against the fact that Antifa or the left could have had anything involvement whatsoever in this insurrection. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I don't know how I mean, I don't know how it would do it. Let's say you were in Rhode Island right now and you wanted to infiltrate a right-wing protest, um, most everybody in all the protests know each other. They're always on the lookout for infiltrators. They're always on the lookout for police officers who might want to be part of the protest or for people who don't quite belong. And so if you tried to sidle up to this and say, yeah, I'm a big Trump fan and I'm along for the ride, they're going to kind of get onto you pretty quickly. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know that that... And, and then when you think a num- sufficient number to actually storm the Capitol and do all that damage. You know, we're talking like hundreds of people infiltrating a protest. I mean, it's just, it's just nutty. It's just, it's just not true. So as far as uh, Representative Price goes, yeah, um, he's not going to step down. I don't think And so. I didn't expect him to. You know, these people... I, I offered to talk to him about this. I sent him a, a text message recently saying, hey, if you want an interview, I'll interview. Right? I don't often give people from the right a chance to... Uh, defend cranky, weird beliefs. But Justin Price is a big enough idea, a big enough story that I think it might be worth talking to him and and pushing back on some of the th- claims he's making. So I offered that, but he has not responded. Right. So, you know, our, our, again, our, we try to try to aim for to get a few conservative listeners to, to hear this program, this episode in particular. And it's important to note that Uprise RI, we cover a lot of progressive stories, of course, but we always, uh, when it's newsworthy, we'll give... Uh, right-wing politicians, especially far, far right-wing politicians like Mr. Price, an opportunity to tell us, okay, well, you believe this crazy stuff. Uh, why? Tell us about it. Tell us why you believe it. We'll and then we can push back on, you know, okay, well, well, X is true. Y is true. How does your... How do your beliefs reconcile with that? But if you if you don't want to participate in the interview, then hey, there's nothing we can do about yeah, that. Yeah, it's fine. He hasn't spoken to anybody else either. After his interview with Ian Donis and his one-word response to my query, that was it. Okay, all right. Cool, let's move on. So anyway, we have here, um, coming on the show in a bit, Representative David Morales, um, recently elected representative for District 7 in Providence. Uh, He won a three-way race with 49% of the vote, um, far more than either of his other two opponents. 
He also, uh, he'll, he'll kill me for saying this probably, but uh, he also became kind of Facebook famous uh, over the summer, over the spring, I believe, when he started this really cool campaign where if your kid was having a birthday party, uh, he offered to dress up as Spider-Man and show up, uh, stand on the sidewalk in front of the house as Spider-Man to kind of make them feel better, you know, because back in the spring, you know, things were really locked down and, and kids' birthday parties were kind of lame, you know, you, you couldn't have people over, you really couldn't do much, so... It was kind of a bummer, and it was nice for him to offer to do that, you know, and, and this is when his campaign was just kind of starting, and uh, it, was, it was really cool, so really, um, really nice to have him on. And here with us right now is our recently elected representative for District 7 in Providence, uh, Representative Morales. Yeah, thank you so much, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here as always, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be here in order to have a really important conversation about different issues affecting working people from housing all the way to ensuring that everyone has clean water. What I do want to talk to you about, of course, a major initiative that you and your fellow progressive legislators launched this past week is the Rescue Rhode Island Act. Now, the Rescue Rhode Island Act is a, is a number of initiatives uh, that cover everything from climate change to drop job growth. And I would love if you could briefly describe that act for our listeners and kind of give them an overview of, of what this what this means for Rhode Island. Yeah, of course. So first and foremost, I just want to state that the Rescue Rhode Island Act was developed alongside different community activists, grassroots organizations, but most importantly, working people. And through months of collaboration, we were able to develop a multi-layer plan that addresses our ongoing affordable housing shortages, our lack of clean air and clean water, the food insecurity our communities are suffering. Alongside that, really focusing on environmental sustainability and looking towards being able to create a state-funded and union-led job, tra job training program that will ensure that working people have a pathway towards a meaningful career that actually pays them the living wages that they deserve. So overall, this framework is to cover the following initiatives as we discussed, ensuring everyone has a well-compensated job, ensuring everybody has access to affordable housing. That is actually green housing as well, which will help cut carbon emissions and also reduce utility bills for low-income residents. Alongside that, making sure that we're able to develop local partnerships with a lot of our local farms and rural residents to try to establish, whether it's community gardens or a market share program, to ensure that every neighborhood access has access to nutritious food. And then one that I think is I would consider deeply personal for myself is ensuring that there's clean air and clean water. Uh, growing up in a low-income community myself, I understand that a lot of the different polluting industries like to infiltrate our working-class communities because they believe that they can flip some of these toxic waste storage sites without any community engagement. And despite the fact that air quality and water quality decrease, and working people are forced to suffer from it, there's never any pushback due to the lack of accountability from our government. So lastly, we're going to make sure that through the Rescue Rhode Island Act, we are addressing and confronting these issues and not allowing for a lot of these private entities to pollute our air and our water. But overall, that is essentially the framework of the Rescue Rhode Island Act because we need to ensure that everyone has a better standard of living. Right now, as we persevere through COVID-19, but also as we recover. So David, this is Steve. Um, I know that you have the Carpenters as one of the uh, founding members of the uh, um, coalition, uh, Carpenters Union Local 330. 
But I did note on Facebook uh, some pushback from other union representatives. Um, Matt Taibbi over at the Teamsters said that expressed a lot of doubts about this. He thought that the, there was not a lot of outreach to unions. Um, will that be an ongoing effort? Yes, I think the idea is that I know that the idea behind Renew Rhode Island and the coalition that we have built with over 25 grassroots organizations, some of which are labor unions, is to expand. The idea is not that, okay, we have 25 organizations, we have checked off the box for community engagement, and now we're going to try to advocate, advocate for it at the legislature. The idea is this is an ongoing movement where we want to continue growing the number of partners who are involved, the number of community members who are involved, and at the same time also receive their feedback as well. Right. We would love, I know for a fact that a lot of the coalition members would love to have a conversation with the Teamsters on how they can also engage in this work and how we can make sure that their members are being prioritized and thought of when we launch this state-funded union-led job training program alongside some of the other initiatives such as affordable housing. Because right. I, for one, want to ensure that any development based on the, re, on the Rescue Rhode Island Act is receiving labor union work in terms of the projects being developed and that making sure that those contracts go to them. Um, another uh, thing that I've been thinking about a lot, and I think might be another place where there might be some pushback, is that a lot of the work we want to do on housing, for instance, um, lead pipes, the lead in the water in Providence comes from the lead pipes that come from the street to the house and are therefore under current law, the, the homeowner has to fix that system, right? If we start fixing it for people, which I'm totally for, um, we would be investing in people's private property. And in many cases, in the places that need it most, we're talking about rental properties. And when we put solar panels on top of houses, we'll also be doing it to rental properties. We'll be improving private property that's rentable. And maybe some people might find that their houses are suddenly desirable and the rent goes up and they get pushed out of their housing. So how do we prevent that from happening? Yeah, so I think there needs to be what we often call a CBA, a community benefit agreement. And this is something that we are discussing in terms of inputting into the legislation and incorporating is the idea that if you benefit from the Rescue Rhode Island Act in terms of whether it is property owners or other private entities who receive some of these subsidies in order to repair, for example, water pipes, right. that there's going to be an agreement, a binding agreement in which they cannot raise rent significantly as a result of that. So to a degree, making sure that there's some form of rent stabilization to go along with the services that are provided. Because regardless, we need to ensure that all of our community members have access and have water that does not have any traces of lead. Right. And I, for one, beyond the Rescue Rhode Island Act, will actually be introducing a bill as well, a bond measure specifically, to address the ongoing issue with lead in our water pipe. So I think this is a multi-layered approach that we can also take to address some of these different issues. Because at the same time, we also need to make sure our buildings are electrified. But if you look at some of the details in the Rescue Rhode Island Act, that is not necessarily detailed there. However, it's all a part of the ongoing vision for what Rhode Island can and should be. Cool. Thank you. 
So, Representative Morales, one of the one of the ways that bills like this really resonate with ordinary people is when it's clear to them what the benefits are. So, let's take two different walks of life here. I think this is really important. And when I talk to our listeners, this is the one thing that it always is confusing when they hear big legislation coming out. They want to know what's what's in it for me. Not to sound selfish, but people that's yeah. how human beings are. What's in it for me? So, let's take two different walks of life. Uh, first, I want to start with your average early twenties Rhode Islander. Okay, uh, like yourself. Um, just, just getting out of college, this person, uh, how does this bill affect their life? We'll ensure that as they live in Rhode Island and hope to continue living in Rhode Island over the age of their 20s and eventually they would like to start a family, etc., that they will be guaranteed the clean water and the clean air that they deserve. They are going to be in a state where the government prioritizes their public health by ensuring that environmental measures are taken as needed and that we understand the severity of the ongoing climate crisis. And it's a very grim view, but the idea is you will want to be in Rhode Island when climate change becomes a more severe issue than a state like Florida, where they have completely neglected the ongoing issue of climate change and how that's going to affect their people. At the same time, in terms of concrete benefits in which a young person could receive from the Rescue Rhode Island Act is I think for a lot of our young people, specifically our black and brown youth, who oftentimes graduate high school and are unsure about what they want to pursue for a career, given the lack of guidance counselors we have in our public schools, what we often see is people resort to going to CCRI and then maybe completing their associates or dropping out. And that's the unfortunate reality. And I see that every day in my day job. So the idea would be that now there's more opportunities as well. And one of them being the state funded union led job training program that we've discussed before in order to prepare people for the different industries, which people have dubbed as the green new deal industry, such as renewable energy, putting people to work. And I would argue that the long-term vision for this plan overall, that would benefit everyone regardless of age, would be to get to a place where we have a jobs guarantee program where everyone's paid a living wage and all the work are public investments that are going to make the quality of life better for our people and ultimately be able to give individuals an opportunity to pursue a job that has a decent benefits package and pays them well and at the same time live in an environment where they know they have clean water and clean air. I think that's helpful. Um, now, let's talk seniors. Uh, very reliable vote. You know, we know our, our local senators and representatives uh, always listen to seniors, always visit those senior centers because uh, they're a reliable vote. They're going to show up and they're going to vote every election. So having at least a portion of them on board with this is important. How does the Rescue Rhode Island Act benefit these older Rhode Islanders? Yes, I'm so glad you asked that because throughout the campaign, I've talked to so many neighbors who are homeowners and are on a limited income and cannot afford to retrofit their water pipes. That's one of the main reasons that I say for me, clean water and clean air is something that is very personal. Because despite being, as you mentioned, right, a reliable vote, I feel like our senior citizens oftentimes are neglected when it comes to policy. And one of those is ensuring that they have some of the basic necessities that they need in their homes, one of them being clean water. And I think through the Rescue Around Act, as we discussed before, we're going to ensure that we are replacing lead pipes for our local residents free of charge. That way, we don't have to continue taking on the burden, especially for those who only depend on Social Security income. Alongside that, 
I would argue that there are a lot of food deserts in our urban areas. And those food deserts disproportionately, once again, affect our elderly. So when we talk about establishing a network of urban community gardens and developing partnerships with our local rural farms, the idea is that there's going to be nutritious food available in every neighborhood, and it's going to be accessible to ensure that they have access to, again, nutritious food that they may not get if they live in a food desert. And the closest resource to them is their local family dollar. As much as I love family dollar myself, they do not provide nutritious food, but they provide affordable food. So how can we address that gap that exists? And again, I think that's by establishing these different community gardens and those partnerships with our rural farms. And at the same time, looking back to the concrete material of making sure people have the clean water they deserve, even if they cannot foot the bill themselves. I think that's very well articulated, Representative Morales, uh, and I appreciate it. Um, He is uh, Representative David Morales. You can visit him on the web at davidmoralesri.com. You can follow him on Twitter. His username is at davidmoralesri. Uh, pleasure to have you on. I really appreciate uh, you going over the Rescue Rhode Island Act. I think it's been quite beneficial to our listeners who are not familiar with it. Um, again, thanks for calling on to the show. We really appreciate it. Representative Morales. Thank you, Rep. Yes, thank you again both for the opportunity to be on here to discuss these important issues. And I do want to note that the Rescue Rhode Island Act will be formally introduced within the next week and a half. So we will make sure that the bills are available and the public will be able to review them and the intrinsic details that go into ensuring everyone has a high standard of living. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. You have a great week, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you on again soon. Uh, Take care, Representative. Take care. All right. Now, following up with Representative Morales, we have uh, coming up next uh, Senator Kendra Anderson. She is the former chair of Climate Action RI. She is the recently elected senator for District 31 in Warwick, replacing Erin Lynch Prada. Uh, She won a four-way race in the Democratic primary and then defeated her GOP opponent by nine points. She is Senator Kendra Anderson. Senator, pleasure to have you on. Well, hi, Greg, and um, thank you for covering these issues and having uh, people who have been passionately working on them on your show. I really appreciate it. Uh, And we just had on uh, Representative David Morales, who kind of went over, gave us an overview of the Rescue Rhode Island Act. He talked about uh, about the jobs creation and, you know, the initiatives in terms of clean water and stuff like that. Um, I know that you obviously are the former chair of of CARI. And so uh, climate, I'm sure, plays a big part. Uh, of your involvement in this in this initiative. And one thing that I want to talk about, I think Steve's going to ask you about, about climate a little bit later, but uh, some, something that those of us on the left know uh, is that nationally, there's always money to pay for progressive initiatives like the Rescue Rhode Island Act. We know that. You know, when they say, who's going to pay for it or we can't afford it, we know that's not true on a national level because the United States can just print money, you know, and, and we've seen it. We've seen it with the... Yeah. We saw it with the COVID stimulus. We've seen it with the disastrous uh, tax rollbacks from a couple of years ago that Trump passed, that there's always money for uh, rich people things, but there's never any money for progressive things. And we know that's not true. The people on the left know that that's BS. And it's merely a matter of political will, whether they want to do this stuff or not. Now, in Rhode Island, though, unlike the federal government, we just can't fire up the money printer and go brrr and just make money. So we do have some fiscally conservative listeners that, you know, who are certainly curious as to uh, where the funding will come from to pay for the benefits that this act provides. Uh, Can you get into some of the details there? 
Sure. I'm I'm not sure. I wasn't able to listen to Rep Morales at this point. Um, so I'm not sure if he covered any of this, but the overall cost is estimated at about uh, $300 million. And there are areas where if we get our priorities straight, if we start financing and, and funding the things that actually help most people, not just the, the wealthy and well-connected, um, we can find that money. And um, one of them is fair taxation. And uh, we know that people over making over 450, about 450,000 a year are not being taxed at the same rate that most of us are um, at a much lower rate. So it's one of the things I ran on, but it was for fair taxation. If we can raise that rate about five points, which is about or percentage points, what we are paying then we can generate 170 million per year, which goes a long way for that uh, 300 million price tag. Also, one that I'm really passionate about is legalizing recreational marijuana. That's a really excited, uh, exciting um, prospect that it looks like the General Assembly is positive about doing, but not just to legalize it, but to also free nonviolent drug offenders from prison. Um, that's costing the state a lot of money for people who have done barely anything. And it's really taxing their communities by taking them out of the, 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 the system, and um, which generates more income within their, their community. So that would generate about $76 million. Um, that's an estimate, of course. And um, lastly, the uh, raising the real estate tax by just about one and a half percentage points um, for high purchase luxury uh, homes um, over uh, half a million would generate uh, another 34 or so million. So there it can be paid for right there. Um, without um, even touching the tax giveaways to uh, giant corporations and wealthy shareholders. I mean, there's another place where we can look at, at getting more money. The $300 million is estimated to just be 2% of the budget. So it's not outrageous. Again, it's about prioritizing the health and welfare of the majority of Rhode Islanders. As a, uh, so as a newly re elected uh, senator from Warwick, I think that climate change was one of the issues you ran on, one of the issues you talked a lot about. Why is climate change important to that section of Warwick that you represent? What, what are the specific issues you see there? Well, climate change definitely is really important to me, but it, over the years, uh, different communities and frontline communities have taught me much more about climate justice and um, environmental justice. And so it, it, it definitely has expanded my view and the importance of these uh, intersections between all, all these things like uh, housing and food security. Um, specifically to Warwick, it is a big concern whether you're in the climate justice communities 
um, because my district does border on some of those communities um, or not, because we have uh, somewhere close to 37 miles of coastline here in Warwick and flooding is a big issue. And we already experienced that in 2010. Um, right, there's a park that I love going to and just walking and exploring at the end of my street. And at one point in time, that whole area was residential. It's been wiped out. It was wiped huh. out. Um, I don't know the year on that one. But in 2010, there was substantial flooding, flooding out a, a recreational area. So, And we know the Warwick Mall. That caused a lot of economic strife. <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of the businesses were closed down for weeks, and even residential apartment buildings, people were needed to be relocated. So it's a not just a uh, climate justice issue, but in my um, district, an economic issue as well. I remember uh, back a ways um, seeing you with Carrie. Seeing you, you led Carrie. You were the uh, chair of Carrie for a while, and the work you did there was. Uh, really interesting because Carrie seemed to fill a niche that wasn't there in um, environmental groups at the time. You seemed to be very activist oriented, very in a way that other groups weren't. You're like, you were like on the street, you were doing stuff. What were the discussions like about how to uh, aim Carrie, how to uh, prioritize what Carrie's interests were back then? Well, we, the year I was president, we called it leader of, of, but we had a, a leadership team, which was great. But that year, it, it, that was a big, um, a year for me to evolve a lot and, and learn what the whole issue of climate change is about. And it's, it's the issue of just, uh, uh, sort of taking advantage of and not taking care of one another and which translates to not taking care of the earth. So during that time period, I did learn far more about um, racial justice, climate justice, and it was a year that um, we tried to transition and change the focus of Climate Action Rhode Island to not just redu reducing emissions, but creating equity for all populations in Rhode Island and then generated out to the region and the nation and the world. So uh, we worked hard at trying to bring those practices into our organization during that time period and even change our own leadership model to make it less hierarchical. It was more spread the um, the leadership roles. And what came out of that was some great um, on-the-street uh, protesting. For instance, with Chase, the mm -hmm. anti-Chase actions that, that were created through Kerry. That was a direct result of asking more people for their input on what they thought was important in Rhode Island. So... Um, yeah, and now they've continued that work. I stay in contact with them, but I'm I'm no longer on the the leadership right. committee at this point. Yeah. Let me uh, just ask a quick question about your new role as a senator. Are you happy with your committee assignments? Well, I, to be honest, I'm I'm disappointed, and I'm I'm not disappointed at the committees I got to participate in. I mean, any committee to me 
And I did talk to some senators afterwards and just there's so much to learn. And I am loving that process, learning and learning. So any committee and the housing committee is really important to this whole climate justice issue. Mm -hmm. So that's really important. But I did a lot of work, done a lot of work in, in the environmental sphere. And I have a lot of contacts and relationships built within the community and um, really some hard fought relationships with the climate justice committee. I, I listened and I listened at, at times that were very difficult. I went through very uncomfortable times, but I was adamant that that was my work to do. And I don't see that that's, there's much of that represented on the environmental committee. I see the committee as there are a lot of champions that do want better for this state and for the world as far as um, climate issues are concerned and environmental issues. But I really felt like it was an oversight not to include someone who is, I'm not the only one, but someone who really was close to and had developed some great relationships within the climate justice community. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I'm happy to see the new leadership under Dawn Oyer, but I was um, not super happy because I think in the past the, that committee has uh, ignored uh, climate justice issues, and uh, I'm hoping that it could take that up. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was like a perfect opportunity with so many climate justice and, you know, and racial justice, because we have to intertwine those, or so, social justice. They, they are um, so intertwined. It was a perfect opportunity for them to appoint one, just one, to bring that voice to the table for decision-making. Right. As, as it has been pointed out to me, and of course I know this because I did work as a resident of Rhode Island, down in the state house advocating for um, legislation that I will have a say. I can I can testify. I can talk about these issues. But now I have no decision in what is moved to the floor. And and I agree with you. I've I've had conversations with Don, um, Senator Oyer, and they've been wonderful. And I'm I'm not doubting the. Um, resolve of the committee. It's just there. That's an oversight. Just I, I'm hoping to see that commitment developed within the committee to listen to some hard truths right. about what's going on in our state. Well, I'll be watching that committee really closely, and I'll be watching what you do up there as well. Thank you for your time. Uh, I do have sure. one. One last question, Senator Anderson. I think this is going to be important to our listeners who often hear, you know, our guests come on here and talk about initiatives and, and they are excited about it. And then, you know, they want to know uh, what what can they do to help push it forward? So for our listeners out there, you know, what what recommendations or what steps can they take to to get the Rescue Rhode Island package uh, on the floor for a vote, get their their senators and representatives interested? What are the steps they should take to do that? That's a great question. And, and what was so exciting about the rollout or the introduction to this legislation the other night was so many people were on that call. I mean, over 550 people. 
And you just immediately want to harness all that energy and enthusiasm right away. Um, But getting that across to people, what they can do is sometimes the more difficult part. I think if if everyone can just stay involved with uh, what's happening with the Renew or the Rescue Rhode Island um, Act, um, that, that would be great. And understand that their voices are so important. It's the most important thing. If they can uh, testify on these bills and tell their stories and keep in contact with that committee and their own elected representatives, that's, that's going to be key because we saw that. We saw that already with the RPA that it matters. It, the, people's voices matter. And things can be changed. I mean, my own campaign morphed in different directions after I listened to um, residents in my district. It, it's just exactly why we've been put here. And But people need to be vocal. And if they're not comfortable being vocal, at least write. Write um, to, uh, their testimony. When, it, when the time comes. And for those of uh, our listeners who, who don't know who their representative or senator is, you can go to the Secretary of State, Rhode Island Secretary of State website. Uh, you could Google the term, who is my state senator? And usually that will bring up the Secretary of State website. You can type your address in and they'll tell you exactly who they are. And then you can head over to ryrank.com. Our overall rankings show every representative and senator. And if you go all the way to the right, it has their Twitter website, Facebook link, uh, and email link. So you can contact them directly using our handy directory at uh, rirank.com. She is Senator Kendra Anderson. You can reach her on the web at kendraandersonri.com. You can follow her on Twitter at kendra4ri. Senator Anderson, a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much. And I'm sure we'll be having you on again in the future. Well, thank you. This is great. Thank you, Senator. Wonderful. All right. You take care and have a great week. (laughs) Okay. You too. Thanks. That was Senator Anderson. And that that about does it for our show this week. Steve, did you have anything else you wanted to cover today? No, I think uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. I think Kendra did great. Um, I was really happy to hear from her. I mean, I've heard from David a lot, but Kendra had less conversation with. So her words today were, I thought, really interesting and really um, on point. So I was really happy to hear that. It's nice to, to see an initiative like this come along because, like we said at the top of the program, you know, we have a supermajority of Democrats in the state house. But the only major piece of legislation I can recall them passing in the last five years was the RPA, right? In, in a way, yes. In a way. Right. And, yeah, and that yeah. was because of, of heavy grassroots pressure. Heavy. Mm-hmm. So anyone that's listening that doesn't think that pressuring your state senators and representatives doesn't work, the RPA is proof that it does, in fact, work. And I think to get climate action, to so get real action on the climate, we need an RPA-style pressure campaign on the General Assembly to make it happen. That's correct. And again, for those listening, like I said before, with Senator Anderson on the phone, uh, visit uh, ryrank.com for contact information for your senators and representatives if you know who they are. Uh, Once you find out who they are, just trying to remember their last name, you can look them up, you can write them. I recommend you call. Calling is very effective. Okay, A lot of these people, it's their cell phone number. Call them up. Uh, You'll usually get a voicemail, and that's fine. Leave a message and tell them, like, listen, I support the Rescue Rhode Island Act, and here's why. And tell them your story. Uh, if you can't call or you're too afraid to call or, or whatever, that's totally fine, too. You can email them. You can reach out to them on social media. Uh, a lot of our representatives and senators aren't too uh, 
too on Twitter and Facebook often, unfortunately, but uh, they do use email. So reaching out to email definitely works and, uh, and calling works as well. But, but just call them and let them know uh, why you support this, you know, and, and what and what good things it's going to do for not only you, but for Rhode Islanders as a whole. If you don't hear from them, let us know, right? Let Uprise know because we want to know which representatives and which senators are just ignoring their constituents. That's true. That's true. It's very true. And uh, it, it was nice to see. We did some uh, some research work with Rye Rank last year, and we were surprised to find that, that the majority of our General Assembly members do, in fact, respond to their constituents. So, so that's good news. Um, but not everybody. So, you know, definitely let us know if that's what you're seeing. But if you if you happen to get a positive response too from maybe a senator or a representative that you weren't expecting to receive that response from, I'll let us know that too, because yeah. it's interesting to hear that sort of thing. Um, so that does it for this week's show. Uh, if you want to support our show, you can visit UpriseRI.com and click donate at the very top. That also supports Uprise RI as a whole. Uh, for the latest news, uh, especially on the Rescue Rhode Island Act and all progressive initiatives, uh, definitely visit UpriseRI.com. Some good news here. A few individuals have put together, have been nice enough to put together an Uprise RI live Zoom fundraiser for us. Uh, that's going to be happening on January 29th. Details to follow. Uh, we've been kind of reluctant to to advertise it since, you know, someone else is putting it on for us and, you know, you... You feel weird, you know, promoting your own fundraiser, but you well, know, but I'll be doing it on social media in in a few days. So, I'll, so Steve will be promoting it, in I fact, and uh, and like I said, it's it's not so much about you know us, you know, bringing in money to to pay our reporters and get new equipment and stuff like that, but it also is a nice way for us uh, to get together. You know, it's going to be a Zoom video conference, so it'll be fun, and uh, we'll get to see a lot of. Uh, you know, progressives and other like-minded individuals uh, on this this broadcast on January 29th. So I'm looking forward to it. Myself and Steve will both be on. And post-COVID, maybe late in the summer, I want to have an outdoor uprise party, right? So we're going to like get a space somewhere in the park and we're going to just like invite some food trucks and we're going to have like a little big get together where progressives from all over just coming down hanging out, talking to each other, meeting each other like we used to do in the old days, pre-COVID, and maybe sharing ideas and getting some stuff started. Yes, that sounds awesome, and yeah. I'm really looking forward to that. We're going to have a big, giant summer extravaganza if we can get COVID under control right. and get to the point where we can actually see each other and hang out without masks and, and all that. So uh, we're really looking forward to that, and hopefully we can do that. If you have feedback about the show, we really appreciate it. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, you can write to podcast at R-I-F-P. Co. That's podcast at rifp.co. And that's it for this week. Again, everyone, we really appreciate you listening. Catch us next week for a whole new topic with all new special guests. We're looking forward to that. In the meantime, uh, enjoy your week, everyone. Tune to Uprise RI for the latest uh, news that you care about. And we will see you again next week. Take care, everybody. 